Welcome everyone to the very first episode of the Graw Pod. My name is Doug Graw and I'm teaming up with Gary Randall on the Graw Pod to bring practical discussions and insights on common issues and challenges trucking logistics companies face today. Gary, why did we start a podcast? Well, because we want to be part of the cool group. All the cool kids have podcasts, at least that's what my kids and my grandkids tell me. (laughs) Honestly, it's because we like to help trucking and logistics companies. And we think that one of the ways we can help trucking and logistics companies is through this podcast, where we get a chance to talk to some very interesting people about some interesting topics and hopefully help to serve the industry. Very well said, Gary. Between the two of us, I think we have probably about 50 plus years of experience leading and serving trucking and logistics companies of various sizes, various segments. I'm not going to say we've seen everything, but there's a lot of been there, done that, seen that between the two of us. And we help improve operations. We help companies improve safety. We help them improve their fundamentals, their processes, their culture. We really try to take a holistic approach whenever we can. We also maybe just get in on some very narrow issues for clients. We're just here to provide practical, legal risk, and business advice however we can to help trucking and logistics companies. That's what we're passionate about. And with this podcast, we're open to discuss common challenges trucking companies and logistics companies face. One episode may be on some best practices when it comes to buying insurance. Another might be on centralized versus decentralized operations. Or another one might be on carrier selection practices and how to avoid the nuclear verdict that that are going all around the industry. That's right, Doug. I'm looking forward to touching on a variety of topics. It's interesting if you think about it, for as long as we've both been in the industry, it makes you realize how companies often face very similar challenges. The scale, the players, the nuances may differ, but most organizations run into the same challenges at one point or another. The more we can help companies beat back those challenges, the more the entire industry can benefit. Our first topic today is a good example of common challenges. We're a target. Our industry's a target. We're a target of Congress, state legislatures, state and federal agencies, basically everyone in government. I feel like each week we're seeing a new bill or rule somewhere that would hurt our industry. Well, nothing happens to repair our crucial infrastructure. You're right. And when we talk to clients, they're very frustrated. But really, who isn't these days? Who isn't frustrated by lawmakers and what's going on, whether it's in Washington or at the state level? Our clients are telling us, They just want to be able to focus on the business. They wish government would just get out of their way. They don't want to have to worry about politics. But after some venting, they acknowledge, they realize politics are a fact of life in our business. And they want to know, well, how do I positively impact what laws are coming into play? How do we help make sure that bad bills don't get passed? And how do we help make sure good bills get passed? They want to know what they can do about it without just spending all day long reading the news and firing off emails to politicians because they got a business to run. That's why we invited our longtime friend and industry colleague, Jeremy Estenson from the Stinson Law Firm to our very first episode of The Graw Pod. Jeremy is a Minnesota-based lobbyist, and we're going to spend some time talking with Jeremy, and we're going to highlight some Minnesota examples. And we're doing that because we're knee-deep in the Minnesota legislative session, and that's where you and I are based, Gary. But we have clients everywhere, and a lot of these principles apply in states all around the country, as well as at the federal government. And we're excited about this conversation because Jeremy's going to lead us through some concrete examples of ways trucking companies and logistics companies can effectively impact the lawmaking process. 
Very thankful today to be joined by Jeremy Essenson of the Stinson Law Firm. Jeremy and I have been friends and co-workers for many years. We know each other through the lawmaking process. We're excited to talk to him just to kind of give us some basics on how the lawmaking process happens. Jeremy's a great lobbyist, and I think the world of his work. So Jeremy, you are a lobbyist, which makes you only slightly better than a lawyer. But we're both probably the most hated professions. But first, just tell us a little bit about you, about what lobbyists do, the lobbyist role, and jokes aside, how lobbyists help make legislation better. Well, thanks, Doug. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the kind words. Yeah, no one becomes a lawyer or a lobbyist because they want their mother to be proud and tell all their friends. But ultimately, I look at it this way. We try to influence the legislative branch and the executive branch, whereas lawyers typically focus on the judicial branch and to a certain extent, the executive branch. Doug mentioned that your business lives are in many ways ruled by law and statute and rules and so forth. All of those things come around from some idea, and we're going to get into that more, I'm sure, here in a little bit. I work for, as Doug mentioned, the Stinson Law Firm. We're around 450 or so attorneys. We have a government affairs practice group of six people. We generally occupy the center, north to south speaking, the center of the United States with some outcroppings in D.C., Montana, and a couple other places. Nice. You talk about influencing policymaking and helping lawmakers come up with rules. One of the things that I've always thought about is you have a lot of lawmakers who maybe got elected on a specific issue. They're very passionate about one or two things. Maybe their professional history is as a teacher. So they're very passionate about education matters. But then all of a sudden they're forced to vote on something related to trucking. Talk to our listeners about how lobbyists can help that process. Well, Doug, you hit it on the head. Most legislators view us as information conduits. So when I meet with a legislator, if I've done my job well, they look at me as an expert on trucking. I happen to work for the Minnesota Trucking Association, longtime client. And in fact, I started my lobbying career working in-house for the Minnesota Trucking Association many years ago where I got to know Doug. And I don't think about Doug and I as old guys, but if I start counting up the years we've known each other, my shoes have to come off. So it's been a while. Legislators, as you mentioned, are teachers or bankers or farmers or whatever they are. Really, until you get to that U.S. congressional level, these folks have other jobs, or many of them do anyway, and they aren't experts on every single subject. So they look to people that they trust. The two key elements have both come up. I think people who are good in the lobbying field have developed a good base of information and they've developed trust. Everybody needs trust in their jobs. I think in the lobbying world, you need trust sooner maybe than you would in other cases. I mean, it really is a sales job, many of the interactions that we have. In the trucking industry, we do a lot of things to effectuate outcomes, not the least of which is getting legislators together with truckers or people in other industries, whatever the issue happens to be, at their facilities to build relationships because all politics is local and all politics is relationships. You're exactly right. So Gary, you've had to host lawmakers at facilities before and you've had to facilitate a lot of those discussions with drivers and lawmakers. What can you tell the listeners about that process and what drivers can do to help lawmakers understand what's going on? I think what we had the most success with was getting the politician or the lawmaker in touch with the driver in the driver's environment. We tried it a couple of different ways. We would bring drivers up into a corporate meeting room and introduce them that way, but we had much better luck when we started to take the politicians and the lawmakers to the drivers. So what I mean 
mean by that is we would have them come into the driver lounge. They're in the driver's environment at that point. The drivers are much more relaxed and probably much more open with their conversations. And I think that was probably the biggest change we made was that most of the time when the lawmaker or the politician comes to your business, it's natural to want to give them a tour. And then the second thing that usually happens is you put them in a conference room somewhere and you bring people in to meet them. We found that to be a mistake. We started out with the tour and we made sure that the tour of the building and the tour of the premises ended up in our driver's lounge so that the drivers were able to meet that person on their space. Again, I'm repeating myself, but much more open dialogue. That was very successful for us. And I remember a lot of those instances and working with some other clients, you don't have to police it. You can let them talk. Don't feel like you have to coach the driver or the owner operator on what to say. Everybody's their own person. They can say what they want to say, empower them to do that. And a lot of great natural conversations can happen. I think that's right, Doug. The term natural conversations is the key. If you go in and try to script it or plant certain drivers in that driver's lounge to make sure that something is said, the politician, the lawmaker will see through that right away. And I think you're much more likely to get the desired outcome that you want if you just let them talk. And what we're talking about, we're talking about a visit, a visit to a facility, which I'm a huge believer in. It's a great way to engage with lawmakers. Usually you get a little bit more time, maybe can go a little bit deeper on an issue or issues. Really a big fan of investing the time in scheduling meetings with your lawmakers at your facility so they can kind of see your world. Jeremy, if you can kind of educate us a little bit on when do you do that? How do you do that? Can you walk us through the lawmaking process and how engaging with your lawmaker in and around and outside of that process, kind of the timing of some things? Doug, great question. We in our industry talk about this phrase, political capital. Capital AL, not to be confused with the capital, like the building that they go to to make laws. Think of it like your political savings account. You can meet with legislators ahead of time and engage with them. You can support their campaigns. You can volunteer. You can get to know them at your church and your library, whatever the case may be. And in those situations, you're putting political capital in the bank. And when you're having a meeting at your facility where you invite a legislator out and all you're doing is letting them visit with drivers and teaching them about who you are as a corporate constituent, you're putting resources into your political capital account. But then along comes a time where you've encountered an issue. Your business is encountering an issue. Maybe it's a tax conformity issue or a regulatory issue. Your parking lot has too much runoff or whatever the case may be, and you need something. Well, now you're engaging slightly differently. You're trying to educate and effectuate an outcome. Those are the times where we switch from building political capital to spending it. The meeting Gary described could be used in either scenario, and it's not a zero-sum thing. We can definitely do both things at once. When we're asking or teaching, many times we do that at facilities, but oftentimes we do that at the Capitol. Someone like me will bring someone like you to the Capitol and introduce you, and you might do anything from visit with legislators in their offices all the way to testify in front of a committee. I like the way you phrase it about your building political capital. I think what people need to understand is you don't have an unlimited amount. You can't get everything. Nobody's going to ever vote 100% the way you want. And before we get into how to spend your capital, let's just talk about the money. I think people get fired up about money in politics and they feel like maybe uh, while well, you just bought the vote kind of thing. 
money doesn't buy votes, but can you tell us kind of what does the role of money play in the lawmaking process? Sure. As a lobbying practice group, we help many of our clients manage their political investments or contributions to candidates or political units. And Doug, I think you said it exactly right as it relates to Minnesota and the Minnesota legislature. I'm not cynical enough to think that there's any jurisdiction where money directly buys outcomes or votes, but there are jurisdictions where there's not as much sunshine on financial interactions between lawmakers and those seeking to modify the law. Guys like me, your company, whatever the case may be, Minnesota is a high sunshine state. Every transaction over $100, sorry, that changed to $200 now because we're on two-year periods instead of one-year periods, is itemized. If you go to the Minnesota Campaign Finance Board website, you can see all the money that Jeremy Essenson's given, that Doug Graw is given, that Gary Randall's given, that your company is given. And then there are opportunities to use resources in what we call a PAC or a political action committee. And that's a statutorily defined way for a group of like-minded individuals to pool their personal resources, not corporate resources, and support candidates. And really what that does is it gets you FaceTime. And it doesn't necessarily purchase FaceTime, but it incentivizes FaceTime. It gets you a more clear path to explain your issue to a legislator in a way where they might not be as distracted. But I think it's really important to point out that particularly in Minnesota, there's just not a relationship between contributions and outcomes. I've just seen too many examples in real life where people, especially entities that give lots of money, don't get the outcome that they want. You're exactly right. You can reasonably expect some amount of time for giving money, but outcomes don't bet on it. Exactly. I want to say just for our listeners off to the side here that we're not talking about campaign finance rules and all that kind of stuff on this podcast. Just suffice it to say there are rules they are strict. The penalties can be quite harsh, whether we're talking about at the state level or at the federal level. So make sure that whenever you're giving any contributions, if you're going to remember one rule, political contributions come from yourself personally. They do not come from your company. That's the main line of demarcation. But there are various rules to keep in mind about that. If we can kind of backtrack a little bit here, I want to talk about the lawmaking process in general. I want to because I want to get to a question that I know that Gary has brought up in the past with me privately is just of there's so much going on. When do I decide when to speak up? So before we get to that question, though, Jeremy, can you just educate us? Let's take a policy bill, meaning there's not a lot of money tied to it. This is a change in whether or not we're going to be able to hold a cell phone to our ear, maybe that kind of a bill. How does that bill come to be? That's a great example, Doug, and it's one that you probably picked because you and I worked on it a number of years. Gosh, we probably started working on that issue six or seven years ago in its infancy when other states were starting to pick it up. As a legislature, we have seen some issues in Minnesota advance rapidly and other things that on their face may seem common sense move slowly. When it first started, we joined a group of other stakeholders interested in public safety and started advocating in a way that we call grassroots. And that's educating everyday drivers, educating other entities that may want to join our ranks. Eventually, when we reached a critical mass, we started engaging with legislators. And we did that in meetings, much like Gary described earlier, where we would visit with legislators in their districts at different businesses or events or whatever the case may be to talk about the issue. The case of what we call hands-free, 
We had a lot of safety data and so forth that we accumulated with our partners. We introduced the bill probably three or four years before it ultimately became law. And then we just built on the conversation year after year. Anytime you bring an idea to the Capitol, no matter how good you may think that idea is, you are going to find dissent and detractors. In the case of hands-free cell phone, there were really two big groups that didn't like it. One was a group of largely conservatives, by that I mean Republicans, some Democrats though, that don't like this nanny state business where the government's invading every aspect of your private life and micromanaging your life. There was another group of largely more urban-based Democrat legislators who viewed this as another tool law enforcement might use to profile people in their vehicles. We had a lot of work to do to get over those hurdles because we needed to get to 50 plus one members of the legislature. And it took about four years in bill form before we finally reached the goal of getting it signed by the governor. When I think of policy bills, the word that comes to my mind is they often turn into slogs. You have to keep plodding along step after step. Some years you'll feel like, okay, we've got a sponsor, which a sponsor means that's someone who is drafting the bill. They're putting their name behind it. Not to get into too much inside baseball, but not all sponsors are created equal. If your sponsor happens to be the Speaker of the House, you've got a really good sponsor. There's a good chance that bill could do something. If it's a freshman senator that has no committee leadership roles, may not be going as far. As a constituent, it can get frustrating. You get excited. We've got a bill. We've got a sponsor. And then you find out, well, it just went to this committee and then nothing ever happened. Or it went from this committee to another committee to another committee. What you've taught me over the years is there's some strategy to that stuff that a sponsor may introduce a bill to make me feel warm and fuzzy, but with no real interest in doing anything with it. You got that exactly right. I like to describe the legislative process in Minnesota as a funnel. It starts generally in January or February with thousands of individual bills, about one or a small number of subjects being introduced. And then as time goes on between January and May, when the legislature generally adjourns, there are dates certain that they agree upon whereby a bill must have met certain markers in order to still be alive. We've actually just eclipsed a couple of those markers. And if any policy bill hasn't had a hearing in both the House and the Senate, it's effectively dead. Now, that's not always true because they can pop back up in amendment form or in omnibus bills or whatever the case may be. I think it's important for listeners to know that of all of the many thousands, and I think last biennium, I say biennium because Minnesota operates on a two-year cycle, there were 6,000 and change bills introduced, and only about 3% of those ever become law. Amazing to think about that, that that's kind of the scale that we're dealing with. And that's just in one state. And you think about some other states, take states that are year round, say a California, for example, or what's going on at the federal level. It's kind of mind boggling a little bit to think about the scale of what's going on here. You feel bad for the people that have to draft all that stuff. That's some busy work. There's no doubt oh, about that. Yeah, there is no doubt. It's actually illegal for us to send gifts to decision makers, but the nonpartisan attorneys up on the sixth floor of the state office building, we try to treat those folks right because boy, they go through a lot. I bet so. I bet so. Let's kind of get to probably some of the most important thing for listeners. If you're a business owner, if you're a business leader, like Gary was, like we are today, it's like, okay, I know this is going to be impactful for our business. I know that's going to be impactful for our business, but I also have a business to run every day. I can't read the news all day long. When do I engage? When do I speak up? 
that is, I think, the thing that most folks, if they had a time machine, would go back and talk to their former selves and say, boy, I should have engaged sooner. I think the easiest way for you to know is to be in touch with your industry's trade association, to be in touch with a lobbyist. If you don't have one, I'd sure be interested in visiting with you. It's our job to pay attention to what's trending, what probably isn't going to go anywhere. And our objective would be to help you time your engagement correctly, because there is such a thing as missing the mark. It's unfortunate, but so many people who find themselves late to the table end up possibly even making outcomes worse than if they would have just left it alone. But I mean, the best way to do it is to get that political capital account built up. And that's in the off time, frankly, in that June to November time frame where there's less pressure and we can start building relationships between you as a business corporate constituent and lawmakers. I couldn't agree more. Spend the time outside of the main lawmaking cycle because that's when you can talk about an issue. Otherwise, if you find yourself in a position where you're just sending email blasts, you gotta be careful about those, is my understanding of talking with lawmakers, is they'll listen to those blasts sometimes, but they usually don't like them. Somebody gave me a bit of advice. It's someone who I really look up to and is a mentor of mine at the Capitol. Somebody told me, if you're making your case at the testimony table, you've already lost to extrapolate on that, if we've done our job right, I want legislators to think of you when an issue that might affect you comes up. And I'll want them to call me to put you two in touch or to call you directly. That's how we know we're doing our job right. And that's how we don't get surprised. But in the meantime, Doug, to your point, folks like me are monitoring what's going on at the Capitol. We're watching the news. For instance, right now, we know how the Chauvin trial may affect certain things in the judiciary bill or whatever the case may be. And we're always happy to discuss those things. Gary, I've seen you in action with lawmakers, and I think you handled it very well. If you could talk a little bit about some of the things that you do, I know that you're very good at telling the story of the business, understanding what the lawmaker cares about and making sure what you have to say plays well with what they care about. Can you talk a little bit about what in engages well with lawmakers when you're talking to them. I think it's helpful if you can kind of tell your story to them. And what I mean by that is we use the term educate. You can educate them on how your business operates and what some of the things that they're working on, what kind of an impact that legislation will have on your business. I think one of the things we found that has worked really well is when we've been able to bring folks into a corporate setting, into an office, and not only engage them with the drivers, not only engage them with upper management, but actually let them sit down in a chair and enter a load, for instance, so that they understand, okay, here's the things that the trucking company needs to worry about when moving your freight from point A to point B. Our experience has been they have a lot of fun with it, that they can actually get on a system and do some of the work. It kind of goes back to that idea that we talked about a minute ago, really, which was proactive versus reactive. By the time we get to the email blasts, we're reactive at that point. If we can be a little bit more proactive, we can get out in front of them, bring them in for these visits, have them understand our business, then that's what we can do to help educate them on our industry. In turn, if we can have information coming to us as a business owner about what's the next top topic next year, what's coming up in terms of legislation, I think businesses need to take a little piece of their annual business planning meetings and spend some time on what's going to be the next issue that we need to worry about. 
I think if we did that, we can be more proactive. We can schedule these meetings to have folks come in. It will go a long way toward what we're trying to accomplish. To get back to your original question though, Doug, getting them in the office, getting them in front of the people and letting them get hands on whether it's a politician coming in and entering a load in the system or whether it's one of them climbing up into a brand new truck so they can see the office environment that the driver works in every day. We've had success with all of it. When you as a company are thinking ahead of the issues that might be coming up, I think you can really do well with finding the right message for the lawmaker. For example, I remember helping clients engage with lawmakers. This was a federal law. And Jeremy, I know you helped us do this. And it was a no-brainer. It was Senator Klobuchar wanting to pass legislation to aid efforts against human trafficking. Well, obviously, human trafficking is a deplorable thing. And we should all be wanting to do everything we can against human trafficking. When a lawmaker is out there asking for trucking companies to engage on the topic, heck yeah, we'll do that. And I'm not going to lie, most of my clients probably don't align with Senator Klobuchar on a lot of political issues. But if we can find some middle ground on something like that, you have no idea where that can also come back on a different issue where all of a sudden we're seen as more friendly, a partner as opposed to an adversary. So find out what the lawmaker is passionate about and engage them with them that way. I think that's exactly right. Find that common ground and that common ground can pay good long-term dividends for you. If you're a company that's investing in green technology, you've got a couple of brand new trucks that are getting exceptional fuel mileage. If you're investing in your community, if you've done some green certifications for your building, if you're investing in those type of things, those are great things to tell about your business. If you're a great employer, which I'm sure you are, talk about the amount of good jobs that you have, the pay that you provide. Lawmakers want to hear that. It makes it real when you go back to them later on and say, hey, this bill doesn't work for us because of this. And if it passes, then these could be the consequences. I think you want to be a little bit careful with those consequences. You want to make sure they're realistic. Jeremy, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about this. I fear that sometimes the business community probably gets a little bit of crying wolf going on. And I think that's something we need to be careful with. Yeah, that's a fact. I think that frequently the business community, I'll use our friends at 3M as an example. They have for years said that if this happens, we're going to move our facilities completely out of Minnesota. We're moving to Texas. That sort of hyperbole doesn't help the overall conversation at the Capitol. What helps is what Doug and Gary have been talking about throughout the podcast, which is real productive relationships that happen organically, whether it's through helping out Senator Klobuchar with an issue that doesn't have a ton of nexus to trucking, but nonetheless, we can help distribute. I think of a former legislator by the name of Terry Morrow from the Mankato area. He was a freshman Democrat when I worked for the Trucking Association, and he didn't have much time for us. He wasn't an anti-business person by any means, but he viewed us through a lens that made him think we weren't necessarily his friends. We took the time and had visits with him at trucking companies in his district, and lo and behold, we ended up breaking bread together. He and I, to this day, remain friends. He remembers fondly his ride in a truck. And I can't tell you how big of a deal that is to so many people because it may be for those listeners in the transportation industry, the inside of a truck or how a truck works or an onboard recorder or whatever, that all may seem pretty plain to you. But to a lawmaker who is a teacher or whatever they are, it feels like rocket science to them. It's very different 
they always walk away with a positive impression. That's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you very much, Jeremy, for spending the time today. Before we get out of here, you and I have worked on many issues over the years, and I want people to know that you are always looking for new clients, as we all are. And I know Jeremy and you and your team provide very good work. And I think the word that comes to mind is because I've seen some of your competitors too, and I've seen how lawmakers engage with you as well as some of your competitors. Lawmakers trust you and they trust your team. And that is huge. If people want to engage your services, they want to talk to you a little bit more about the lawmaking process. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, well, thanks, Doug. I appreciate those kind words. They can get a hold of me uh, through my office. The phone number is 612-335-7079. Or they can email me and I'll send you that information to the extent that you want to publish it along with yeah. the podcast. I want to pick up on what Gary was talking about earlier, where leaders inside of a given business take some time to think about what's happening in the regulatory landscape for the upcoming year or whatever your planning period is. Relationships with legislators are important to a guy like me, but relationships with the businesses that I represent are equally important. I'm the conduit. I serve as a conduit between your business and legislators to try to drive outcomes. One of the ways that we try to do that at Stinson is to come and visit with your business and let you know what we see. And these are things we do at no cost. Always happy to visit if we can be a productive and helpful part of your planning process. Wow, Gary, there's a lot to digest there. I really like a lot of that feedback. After you heard it and you were a part of it, Gary, if you're a trucking company, a logistics company leader, you're a manager, what are your key takeaways? For me, Doug, I think there was a couple of things. Tell your story. Get credit for the good things that you're doing, like you're providing good jobs, you're operating safely, you're investing in technology, you're giving back to charities, and so on. Make them understand that you're a good company, that they should want to support. Number two, educate the lawmakers. They don't know our industry. It's our world, not theirs. Don't cry wolf about every piece of legislation. Educate them on your business and how their laws impact your business. Great points. For me, the analogy that Jeremy made about political capital and savings accounts, that really hit home. Spend time with lawmakers outside of the session so that the lawmaker has a little bit more time. You can get a little bit deeper on some issues. You can't hit on 10 issues, but maybe you can hit on one, two, or three and get a little bit deeper on them. Look for ways to find common ground with those lawmakers. Even if it's a really small sliver of common ground, find it and see what you can build from there. You may not line up on a lot of issues, but maybe there's something your business is doing to be more green, to be more carbon neutral, as they say. And your lawmaker that you're talking to is really passionate about those issues. If you talk that up and you share that with them, you guys can find some common ground. Yes, money plays a role. If you can make some financial contributions, Jeremy said it right. It's not going to guarantee you results, but it may get you some time. And really, that's all we can ask for is an opportunity to be heard. Gary, I really want to thank you for being a part of this. I'm excited about what we can do with this. You and I have been working together for many, many years, and this is just a continued extension of that. I'm excited about this first episode of The Graw Pod. I had fun. I learned. I like to think where there's a good few nuggets in there for our listeners to take back to their business. And I encourage any of our listeners, if you ever want to talk about the lawmaking process or any other challenge facing our business, reach out. We'll be happy to help. 
You can find us at thegrawgroup.com. Check us out. We've got an engage page. Go ahead and look us up. We'll be happy to help out however we can. By the way, special thanks. I got to throw it out there. We can't do a podcast without people who actually know how to run podcasts. And I really want to thank the Podwheels Network and podtopics.com. Visit them, podwheelsnetwork.com for more information if you're interested in designing and developing your own podcast. Gary, any closing thoughts? I think you pretty well covered it, Doug. We're looking forward to the future with this. We think we'll have some great guests and some interesting topics going forward. Yeah, look for us about once a month or so, and we look forward to helping the industry however we can. Until next time, everybody, be safe out there.